going on, everyone? Welcome into another new episode of the Rebuild Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jordan Zerm. You can find me on Twitter at Cleve Zerm. Uh, you can find the Rebuild on Spotify, on uh, iTunes, and uh, we are also on Stitcher officially. So if you are somebody that listens to your podcast on Stitcher, the Rebuild is there. So find us there. Uh, if you listen through iTunes, please rate and subscribe and leave a comment or a review or whatever you feel like doing. Um, this is a uh, this was a fun episode today because. Uh, I bring on somebody who I've met multiple times because he was involved in the production of ESPN's Believe Land 30 for 30 that came out a couple years ago. So he spent a lot of time in Cleveland um, helping to set up interviews and do various things for, for that documentary, which sort of detailed the misery of Cleveland sports and why people root for Cleveland sports and then culminated in the Cavs winning a championship. So that was really cool. So I got to know um, Adam. His name is Adam Weinrib. He is a writer and video guy for the website 12 Up, uh, which you, if you have not been to, please check it out. You can check him out over there. You can also follow him at Twitter, on Twitter, I should say, at Adam Weinrib. But I got to know Adam um, pretty well uh, through that time, and he is—he's uh, an honorary Cleveland citizen. He's an honorary living member of Cleveland, as he has spent uh, a good amount of time in the city. He's a big fan of Cleveland, so that always helps uh, being able to welcome uh, him in as an honorary member with open arms. But you know, he is a New Yorker, and he has been a fan of the New York Football Giants for as as long as I've been a fan of the Cleveland Browns. And so I wanted to uh, hit him up and talk about his feelings on Odell Beckham Jr. And not only just the the trade itself, but also how he felt about Odell when he was in New York for the for the five years that he was. And um, if the label that Odell Beckham Jr. has been given as sort of a distraction or a, a problem off the field was fair, if he felt like there was anything Odell did that was indefensible or that would be bad enough to earn him that sort of title. And then sort of looking at, at Dave Gettleman and what it's like to have a GM who might be incompetent. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. There are signs of him being incompetent, um, which is something as Browns fans, we've sat through plenty of incompetent GMs. So a really good conversation with Adam who gives some really good perspective of, of what it's going to be like having Odell Beckham Jr. on your team um, and what he brings both on and off the field and, and all that good stuff. So uh, please enjoy my conversation with Adam as we talk OBJ, uh, what he was like in New York, and, and what we can expect as Browns fans with Odell Beckham Jr. officially a part of the Cleveland Browns for the 2019 season. All right, please enjoy. All right, well, I am psyched to have uh, a, a friend of mine, somebody who has spent uh, a good amount of time in Cleveland as well, so I thought he would be sort of perfect for this podcast. It is Adam Weinrib, and um, Adam uh, works for 12Up, where he does some writing, he does some video work. You can check him out over there. He's very funny. I would highly recommend reading his article about Odell Beckham Jr. and Dave Gettleman and, and the trade that went down over there. He also spent, as I said before, a lot of time in Cleveland as he worked on the excellent uh, 30 for 30 that ESPN put out about Cleveland sports misery sort of culminating in the uh, in the Cavs championship in Believe Land. So um, Adam has spent a fair amount of time in Cleveland and is also a, a New York football Giants fan, lives in New York, roots for New York. So I thought Adam would have a very unique perspective on 
this Odell Beckham trade from the Giants to the Browns, seeing as how uh, Adam has spent uh, some time in both places and gotten to know sort of both cities and and a lot of sort of the sports mindset of both fan bases. So first of all, Adam, uh, thanks for joining me, man. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jordan. Um, I, I will say I was at first a little confused by the invitation uh, to talk about the Giants. I thought the team folded last week, uh, <laughs> so I was just confounded to hear that someone wanted to talk about what, like a you know a, a burnout team that's no longer in the NFL. But either way, happy to uh, address the issues. Um, I, I mean, like you said, I, I've spent a lot of time in Cleveland, and I love your city. Um, and I I thank you for taking him of all places. If if I had to pick a point on the dartboard to send Odell, this is where I would have chosen. Uh, I wish it had not come to this. Uh, and now, yeah, let's let's break it down postmortem style. Yeah, I uh, we will take very good care of him. We will treat him delicately. We will <laughs> uh, we will give him positive reinforcement. Whatever Odell needs to have a successful kind of second half of his career here in Cleveland, uh, we will do. And yeah, actually, like if if the NFL season started and the Giants were just like not listed uh, anywhere, like and they just didn't show up to play a game, I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't be surprising. Maybe Dave Gettleman is just going to be like, you know what? Actually, I quit. We're not playing this season. Yeah, I half expect Dave Gettleman to, like, it's opening day, they pan to the box, he's nowhere to be seen, and then it cuts to, like, him crossing the border into Tijuana with a suitcase overflowing <laughs> with bills. It's like, why was he ever here? What was what was the goal here? <laughs> what, what were you doing? Yeah, that would, uh, that would be very funny, very sad, but maybe not surprising. Um, well, yeah, so Adam, I guess before we kind of get into... Um, well, maybe maybe we'll start here. Maybe we'll just start with your sort of gut immediate reaction when because although there were sort of rumors going around and maybe there had been rumors for the past season and a half again about Odell Beckham Jr. and whether he'd sort of come to the end of the line in New York and if that relationship could sort of continue to to exist but it happened the actual trade itself happened pretty quickly and heated up pretty quickly and then before you knew it um it was executed so when that came down around 8 p.m or whatever it was on the day that the trade actually happened what was your sort of initial reaction to it yeah so i i mean i hate to say that i'm sort of a glass half empty fan i mean i I like to stay positive, but I think anyone who, who reads my terrible Twitter account can tell you that I take a negative. I take a negative reaction first, generally. Um, so I was sort of, a year ago. I was pretty resigned to this being the end of Odell in New York before the extension, after the ankle injury, kind of in that weird early Gettleman period where the indications were sort of like, oh, this guy really might be you know loony enough to trade him at first blush. And then when he signed the extension. I calmed down. I sort of didn't entertain the thought. Uh, but the last two weeks or so prior to the trade, I was like, something about it, I was back in tune with just sort of almost accepting that, like, I, I was in that stage where I kept getting the, you know, you'd get the anonymous reports that said, you know, an AFC North team continues to pursue Odell heavily. And I was at the point where I was just like, that's the Browns. This feels closer to being done than the world is sort of letting on. Um, and so I think I might have been in the minority where when it did go down, I was, I mean, like stunned. I was in the middle of a, an edit, editor's meeting for a short film I, I wrote and, and starred in with just like comedy friends. So I was the only person in the room sort of keyed into this. And I, I mean, first reaction was, 
drop the phone, just like say out loud and interrupt the meeting. Oh, the Giants just traded Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I don't know. Sorry, guys, I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, <laughs> and then immediate reaction. So I'd read, I mean, I was floored, upset, uh, had read sort of your tea leaves earlier and was briefly relieved when I learned it, we weren't getting Emmanuel Ogba, who is someone I kind of don't have much love for. I don't know if I, I'm out of line there, but he, he feels like a piece that wouldn't help the Giants quite as much as Jabril. Uh, so I was like, I was momentarily satiated by, by learning that we did slightly better than I had, you know, read in the rumor mill. Uh, but the, I mean, right. I mean, it was an hour of just distracted, you know, I was supposed to be watching a film with my good friends and, and giving specific editing points and picking it apart. And I was just kind of sitting on Twitter, refreshing, hoping it would go away. Um, I, I mean, I, I have barely any positive feelings about the deal now, but at the time I had even fewer. Yeah, for sure. I, I think you're, I think you're right about between Emmanuel Agba and Jabril Peppers. I do think that Jabril Peppers will step in and immediately help the Giants, whereas Emmanuel, it was sort of, it's sort of up in the air. He, his growth sort of stunted last season, and um, so it was a little unsure around here of um, how much he'll he'll be contributing this upcoming season, but. Um, I want to go back with you uh, with Odell because what I'm really interested in is sort of your experience with him as a giant, your sort of perspective of him, because he's one of those guys that gets the dreaded quote unquote distraction label thrown on him for some of his both things he's done on the field, whether it's getting into a fight with Josh Norman and um, doing some some wild stuff on the field to get, you know, unsportsmanlike penalties and sometimes maybe letting his emotions sort of overcome uh, his entire demeanor and affect how he plays the game to, you know, certain things he has done off the field as recent as, you know, the ESPN interview where you're in the middle of the season uh, last season and with little Wayne by his side to the infamous boat party that seems to really have kind of followed him ever since that happened. So for me, as somebody who you know, is not, um, is obviously not as, as tuned in to the Giants on a weekly basis, but obviously pays attention to Odell because of his, his skill set, but also how much he's talked about in the media. I, I always, my first reaction is to sort of, um, I kind of scoff at those things because from, from my perspective, I see somebody who is absolutely incredibly emotional. Um, I think that stuff with Josh Norman, and that was, I believe that was only in year two. I think he was still just his second year in the NFL when that stuff happened. And obviously there's, I can imagine the frustration and when, when stuff like that leads to penalties and actual detrimental things on the field during a game, I understand frustrations and all of that. But I think for me, at least on the outside looking in, it feels like the reputation that OBJ sort of garnered during his time in New York feels like more of a product of people just wanting to talk about him and, and label him in a certain way than actual reality. So I, I would love to hear from you just as, as a fan and as a guy that's watched OBJ more closely than, than anybody in Cleveland has over these past kind of four or five years. Where were you at with some of the stuff that, that, that happened with him during his time in New York? And were you somebody that was, was frustrated by him or yeah, just your thoughts on, on OBJ during his time in New York? Yeah, so fully agreed on on basically ev everything you viewed from from a, a slightly more outsider's perspective is definitely how I felt from being in the trenches. 
Um, there is something particularly annoying about ending up in the hot take machine. Like Odell was fodder for all these, you know, radio shows and, and local and national. And there was something annoying about sort of having your team thrust into that mix when there's not a lot of on-field success accompanying it. Like you sort of accept being in the, you know, uh, like realm of sports media where people are picking apart your superstars every move. You, you expect that if your team is 10 and 6, 11 and 5. Uh, but I mean, only one winning season with Odell on the field. And we're still sort of in this zone where he's a favorite target of, of Coward and, and, you know, at a, on a national level. And then also, you know, Mike Francesa locally and all <laughs> yeah. that. It was hard to it was hard to sort of escape. Um, I was at the Josh Norman game. Um, I will say I was in the upper deck for that. And that was the first, like, true hot-headed moment that was kind of, you know, examined on a national scale. And that was also the first moment when I started to doubt. I, there's nothing I hate more as a fan. I'm such a devoted advocate of my teams. I'm always sort of argumentatively standing up for them against, you know, the onslaught of Boston and all that. You know, I always have a counter-argument to why my players are good and your players are the insufferable ones. And then that day, that day I was kind of just like, oh, Odell, this is kind of indefensible, man. Like this is like he was he he was so clearly getting needled by Norman and he was so clearly so far under his skin uh, that I was kind of like that. Like that's the first time he had a reaction that I was kind of like, I really hope I can sit this one out because I, I don't have much to say about this. I think by and large, the reputation remains undeserved I, I mean there's such this dyke there's this dichotomy between you know players who are divas because all they care about is themselves and players who are divas because they just want to win so badly because winning encompasses all that when they're not they sort of turn every success they personally have into a show to sort of prove to themselves I can still do it I wish we were all still doing it I wish we were on the same level that's what Odell always felt like to me it was, you know, after touch, every touchdown was a release to him, right? So the antics that you're getting, you know, Francesa and Coward going, I don't know what this guy's deal is. Like, you're, we're talking about, like, him celebrating a touchdown, him racing down the field to, you know, celebrate with his teammates. He, he's always sort of penalized for emotional bursts that sort of felt more like him just putting a stamp on a game and saying, I am here, where's everyone else? You know, so I always am inclined to defend him and and that's when you get up to the vote party right that's yeah. like the second major incident where it's sort of not defensible i always want to, you know i so desperately want to be like you in all instances where i'm saying you know give give him a break he's a kid like and, and i'm also so inclined to say that you know in sports so few outside distractions actually matter I mean, think about how many distraction grenades have been lobbed at the Patriots for the last 15 years, and then we end up with a 50% chance at a Super Bowl. Um, so before the playoff game, I was inclined to say, you know, stop it. This, you know, the wide receivers rode a boat in Miami before a playoff game. Congratulations on finding a picture of athletes partying. You know, and then they played the game, and Odell had a really key drop early in that one. Uh, and a game that was close till halftime and, and like a touchdown would have greatly aided, you know, that that 
they've gone to Lambeau before. <laughs> you know, that that game sort of broke the franchise and his entire narrative. I mean, they had gone to Lambeau two previous playoff runs and kick-started Super Bowl titles. Um, and then this was a third time on the road and underdog at Lambeau, and they wilted so spectacularly in the second half that they've won, you know, so many feckless games since, I mean, just a handful of games in the two years since then. And they've sort of gone and they've sort of dissolved. You know, they're, they're barely an NFL team at this point, you know, making a stamp on the radar. So I'm based, I'm inclined to defend Odell for almost everything he's done. I think most of his behavior can be excused as just a young person so desperately wanting a platform and also a person so far in talent level above the people who are around him that like, I, I think a great, you know, he's almost like an artist. He, he treats the game like art when he, you know, finishes off a masterpiece, like when he just outruns someone on a slant and then celebrates with the kicking net or, you know, runs through the end zone and does that Superman, you know, cape type. It's just sort of him releasing like an exclamation point at the end of a move. I forgive all of that. And I'm not the kind of New Yorker who idolizes Francesa and hit, oh, look how wrong his takes are. How adorable. Like that'll never be something, you know, that that's not a pinnacle of New York sports to me. That's just like an agitating force that bothers me while I try to enjoy New York sports. Yeah. Um, so I forgive essentially everything. Uh, it, and then the boat party is where it starts to turn. I mean, that is sort of up to this point, uh, kind of indefensible. And you sort of just hope he's grown in the two years since, because that one really is, I, I don't have much to say uh, that defends that action other than, you know, it's sort of the rare instance where a distraction like that really does change things. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And it was interesting because today, this morning, when I was kind of thinking about, um, you know, wanted to to chat with you about this stuff and, and kind of going back and, and looking at some of these incidents, um, you know, I was rewatching the footage of the, the game against Josh Norman. And it is it is striking to see it's almost like he was taken over by another like person, like another person entered his body and just took him over for a game because it is so stunning to watch him sort of his singular focus kind of became going at Josh Norman violently at any time that he could. And it's very, you know, when you see him interviewed or you see him kind of when he's not on the field, he he does seem like a very maybe laid back's not the right word, but a, a guy that is not that person that you see sort of running full speed after a play is over to sort of launch himself into Josh Norman. So it was, <laughs> it, it is very um, striking to see that. And it is something that, yeah, I, I think criticisms of that are, are very warranted. And I do think the, the boat party for as many jokes that were made about it um, from people who weren't Giants fans and people just in the NFL looking at that and being like, what in the world were they doing? And then seeing it sort of have an effect on the field. I, I'm very much with you that I do think um, there are instances of, your, of his career where, you know, that criticism is warranted. And, and I also think that um, to your point about him, just wanting to win so badly that maybe that emotion becomes a, a distraction for himself. It, it's funny, I, I was watching a video, I think it was the same video of this Josh Norman thing, and he was mic'd up for a little bit of it. And there's this instance of him on the sideline, and he's pacing back and forth, and he yells a couple times like, we're getting our ass kicked and nobody cares. And his voice breaks and it looks like he's about to cry. Like he is so <laughs> emotional and so invested in winning that it made me, it's such a juxtaposition to um, what was happening on the field where 
you know, at first you're just like, oh man, he's letting this one-on-one battle with one dude sort of overtake everything. But then you see that clip and it's sort of like, he's he wants to win so bad. And they, for a period of time in that game, were being embarrassed. And he just becomes overwhelmed by it because he can't believe that that his team doesn't have this sort of insane passion that he does. And so I do think that there is a... a um, and as he gets older, so sort of figuring out how to balance and how to sort of harness those emotions. And, and, and I'm hoping that in Cleveland, where he has Jarvis Landry, um, he has somebody similar, I think, emotionally to him in Baker Mayfield, with somebody else who can be momentarily taken over by emotions that lead to things that he's been criticized about. Um, and I, I wonder if that will um, hopefully manifest itself into something where like they can learn from that and he'll have somebody on the team with that same sort of passion and then you have Jarvis and you also have their receivers coach from LSU and Adam Henry um, who's with the Browns too who knows how to hopefully deal with that and and when Odell feels that happening um, can sort of talk to him but yeah it is interesting with Odell where he's so talented that you do tend to sort of look the other way on some things because it's worth it. Um, and I feel like maybe in New York as the team sort of struggled around him and Eli sort of came and went over his, his hump of, you know, being in his prime, although I guess Dave Gettleman still thinks he's in his prime. Um, (laughs) correctly so. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, it is interesting to sort of try and balance that with, okay, in New York, did it get to a point where like that balance had shifted so much to one side that they just felt like they could no longer deal with it? Yeah, I mean, the the fan base's reaction, I think, uh, wasn't entirely unexpected. Luckily, I think it trended more in the we love you, Odell, and we feel terrible for what you know we have wrought we will admit like a lot of people chose Odell over Gettleman, which does feel good. Um, it, it's right when, when, you know, the world is sort of aligned that like, Oh my God, like we just sacrificed a from like a generational talent. I hope you're happy. Um, but there were enough people in the fan base who, you know, whether they're, whether it's just Stockholm syndrome or not from listening to, you know, too many talking heads and, and too much aggravation, there were plenty of people who were saying good riddance, you know, you heard a lot of when's the last time an elite wide receiver has ever won a championship, mm-hmm. which like which like is an argument that like it's hard to rebut. It's like, OK, thanks, I guess. But at the same time, like I'll take generational talents as long as they're on my roster. Like it, it feels like there's a way to maneuver your roster construction around it. Like has a generational talent at wide receiver plus Eli Manning ever won a Super Bowl? No. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and they're incredibly unlikely to do so. But perhaps in the next two years with Dwayne Haskins and Odell and, you know, this is the final year of Sterling Shepard and Saquon and Evan Ingram, like that could be enough to pull off another strange Giants run. I've always been confused about the way New York sports fans treat emotion um, I think it's pretty similar, you know, across the board. There's nothing I want more from my athletes than, you know, public shows of emotion. I always think when we shame athletes for that, that's the biggest trap that we get into. Um, and I always wonder if it's different in New York because of the Yankees. Um, because sort of the most successful franchise we have is sort of this 
you know, there's plenty of personality on the team, but the overarching ethos of the Yankees is like emotionless, do your job, go about your business, um, clean cut. Like, and, and obviously that's the, you know, the most success we have is, is mostly tied into Yankees baseball. Whereas, you know, Boston, the Red Sox are the brash team, the, the one that screams, the team with the beards, et cetera, et cetera. And I always wondered if New York, you know, talking heads in general and then conversely, the fans are less tolerant of an athlete sort of singularly showing emotion and being himself and being, you know, a one man wrecking crew because they sort of have this Yankees versus the rest of the city dichotomy. I never know if that's true or not, but I, I can't help but wonder because I, I do feel like we just I, I feel like we by and large treated all of Odell's shows of emotion as if they were combative, as if they were, you know, extensions of the Josh Norman fiasco. Um, but then like, there's no greater argument for him having the ability to, quote, grow up from there than the fact that Norman came to the division shortly thereafter. I mean, he's been on the Redskins facing the Giants twice a year ever since, you know, for several seasons. And there has never been another high profile incident. Yep. Uh, they act civil to each other. And, and that's just that has not been a narrative since the initial burst. And there have been so many opportunities to rekindle it. So. For me, there's no better argument for him being able to control his emotion in the right circumstance than that. All right, let's take a pause in the conversation with Adam and give you a little a bit of information on one of our sponsors. Guys, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. I can confirm it really is. It's the best event of the year, maybe in general. So whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky finally get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. Yeah, talking to you. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is, they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today using the promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. All right, let's jump back into the conversation with Adam. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and that's really interesting about sort of the dichotomy between Boston sports and, and New York sports. And I also... Like, to me, Odell has always felt like a bit of an outsider in terms of just the NFL. And we talk about the stigma of showing emotion. Like, the NFL still remains so far behind the NBA in terms of just player freedom and freedom of expression and just people being able to accept, you know, players showing any sort of emotion and having any sort of personality. And, like, I always thought about Odell as sort of like the like early Kanye West of the NFL, like when Kanye was <laughs> was wearing like pink polos in the backpack era, and people were like, "Hey man, uh, you can't do like what are you doing? You can't do that." And he got made fun of a lot. And like Odell Beckham Jr. with this blonde streak in his hair, and he loves to dance, and like he's this super emotional guy where he's on the verge of tears sometimes, and people like didn't know what to do with him and how to sort of take him in. And I think that there's still such this testosterone-fueled, masculinity-fueled sort of um, cloud that still hangs over the NFL where, you know, people 
there were plenty of homosexual jokes thrown at Odell Beckham Jr. And there were mm-hmm. plenty of people sort of being like, what is this dude? And I think that has certainly played into the criticisms of him as well, because people just didn't know how to take it. And I think that stuff is starting to change. Um, but if you look at some of the other top receivers in the NFL, like if you look at a Julio Jones, if you look at an AJ Green, they're just these sort of bland incredibly talented dudes but they are making no waves off the field they they're not in commercials they're barely uh, personality wise doing anything I think with Antonio Brown even although he's pretty flamboyant he never really you know the dancing and the sort of yelling at teammates in a passionate way like you didn't really even see that from him that much until it was more hearing about it behind the scenes but I think Antonio has (laughs) has taken some steps this past (laughs) season to maybe change a little bit of of what you can be as an NFL player and how outspoken you can be and how personality-driven you can be. So I've always been interested in Odell just from that standpoint because he was so different, especially when he came into the league in 2014. Like, he was just so different than everybody else. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty impressive that Antonio's cousin Hollywood Brown is now the grounded (laughs) one. I know. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, why, why can't Antonio be more like his cousin who is literally nicknamed Hollywood? And has um, a, and, and wears a gold grill while he's playing football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all, we've all agreed that we prefer him for some reason. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I, when Odell was drafted, I'd never seen anything like him, obviously. And, and I even wondered, or like, so you, you make the wide receiver pick that early in the draft after a few, like, the Giants have had a few hits and a few misses at that point. Like, Jason Pierre-Paul, monster hit. Prince of Mukamara, recent draft pick, kind of a high-profile semi-failure. A successful NFL player, sure, but you know, not quite what we were sold. So you make the wide receiver pick so early. I haven't watched a lot of, you know, I, I at the time hadn't watched a lot of LSU. Yeah. Um. So my only thought process was like, yeah, it seems like a moderately solid team, and yeah, I guess he's their best wide receiver. Jarvis Landry seems good too. Jeremy Hill seems good. Why isn't this team the national champions? Oh, I guess Zach Mettenberg, like Zach Mettenberg is an NFL quarterback. Um, So I was sort of like, I guess not underwhelmed, excited to get a playmaker in the first round just because that's the fans inclination of like, oh, we're adding to the offense. This guy must be special. Like, um, and then he, he, he hit the scene and it was like surpassed my expectations by like triple. And just, you know, that reaction you have to watching a truly special player where you go, um, I like just the early shivers of like, I don't know if I'll ever see anything like this. Like what is, how do we have the game breaker? And it had been like, you know, a solid half decade of like the giants having very good football teams or they did. I mean, I'll never be able to talk about the giants objectively without someone popping in and saying, you've won two Super Bowls in your lifetime, which is completely true. Yes. (laughs) Um, and, And like the Cleveland fans will have to forgive me for saying that the giants have won two Super Bowls, yes, but they've never actually just been good for a full season. Right. Um, they've been solid. Their best season was the year after they won the Super Bowl, and Plaxico Burris thighed himself in one oak and kind of ended, <laughs> you know, the offensive run. I mean, that's the best they've ever performed in a regular season. Um, so it was just, so, and we, we're also coming off this like when Odell's drafted, we're coming off this half decade of the Eagles being in the division, having LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, even Riley Cooper. It just felt like they had more weapons, even when Hakeem Nix and Victor Cruz were grinding it out. That was when the tides started to turn, and you felt like the Giants could be the team with the you know explosive offense. 
Um, but then adding Odell was just a layer on top of that. And when he made, of course, the, the famous one-handed catch against Dallas, in what people like to point out was a, you know, another loss. Yep. <laughs> you know, a, a pockmark on the legacy, a pretty bad loss, actually. Um, and which, you know, I'm often shamed thinking about. When he made that catch, I mean, that really is the first time that a New York Giants offensive player, you know, in, you know, the span of me following the team was kind of just absolutely transcendent. And you could argue just was at the top of the NFL, was the most important offensive piece and, I mean, you're talking to someone who my first favorite giant was Ron Dane. Like, that's not how the Giants ha- have generally operated. Um, so, see, yeah, seeing someone so explosive, so talented at such a young age and with the personality quirks, I, I mean, I-, I never had to handle that as a football fan before. And-, and you do, I mean, obviously you go back and forth with Odell. You just want him to... You want him to streamline the emotion in a way that you can always defend. You never want you, you do kind of cautiously watch him and go, I, I hope he doesn't do anything that I'm gonna have trouble backing up. Even last summer when the eclipse happened and he, you know, was staring <laughs> out the window at the at the sun with no glasses, you're like, What am I supposed to do with this? Like I momentary I briefly forgot about that. That is maybe one of the greatest pictures of all time. Yeah, it was like at this point in my fandom, like I've done so much defending of Odell, and now I have to be like, no, it's actually cool to look at the loose sun during it. <laughs> like, I, there's nothing I can do with that. And like later in the day, Trump did it too, and then I could be like, oh, thank God, now I don't have to, you know, now everyone forgot that Odell did it. Great. Um, but you are sort of, you're always on edge waiting for those moments, at least to this point where you have to step in and say, okay, that one's on me, I'll take it. But can't you see what he can do on the field? Uh, but by and large, the experience, I mean, I'm going to miss him tremendously. Yeah. <laughs> I can't make that clear enough. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think everybody here is um, is thrilled, and it's still very surreal because even in the moments leading up to it, it didn't feel like it was something that was actually going to happen. And, it, uh, you know, you say it as a Giants fan, it's been, you know, you're not used to having somebody so explosive and um, personality driven in, in Cleveland. I can't remember, you know, I was, I was talking with friends about like Odell becomes like maybe the second best player in franchise history outside of Jim Brown. Like we, the Browns, especially, especially since I've been paying attention to them in 1999 have never had anybody um, of this caliber of ability. And so it's, it's very surreal to all of a sudden have this sort of, celebrity now on on the team and it's going to be a um it's going to be a very strange 2019 but i think we're excited for it adam i wanted to end on this with you because um as a browns fan i've sat through a lot of very curious uh press conferences by coaches general managers whatever you may have uh dave gettleman's conference call uh, last week was uh, a thing to behold i (laughs) am um for you, as you sort of look to the future of the Giants, because you you do still have Saquon Barkley, you mentioned there is the potential that that maybe they are actually going to um, draft a Dwayne Haskins. I know that there was a report out, uh, I think today, or maybe this came out yesterday, that after it was reported that they had no interest in Dwayne and were doing no scouting on him, that they ended up having dinner with him. So that feels like something uh, that is good and necessary. So hopefully that continues, but... Dave, Dave Gettleman just had some wild comments, not only about the trade and the Browns making, quote-unquote, an offer he couldn't refuse, which I just have no idea why he felt the need to to say something like that, um, but then his plan and talking about Eli Manning and how it was 
wasn't even a question that they were going to give him that five million roster bonus and keep him on the roster. And um, with Dave Gettleman, where where are you at with your current GM? And are you is there excitement for the future? Are you terrified because it seems like he doesn't really know what he's doing? Where are you at with all of it? Yeah, my biggest concern about coming on the pod today was trying to like. I wondered if I had. I wondered if I could keep my mouth shut about Gettleman. Like, I wondered if I could escape the whole pod without saying something that is is deeply offensive. Yeah, no, um, I can't lie. I need you to be as offensive as possible. I'm sorry. No, uh, that's fine. Uh, yeah, please. E- I mean, even, you, could you just bleep the name Dave Gettleman? Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, every time you say it, I will bleep it out. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, no, it's, I mean, yeah, so from the start, once I had, you know, the ability to step back from the Odell news and probably give it like a half hour... everyone's biggest concern wasn't the fact that he was traded, although it is always hard to say goodbye to someone like that. That is sports. And we were 40 days removed in New York City from something called the Chris Depp's Porzingis trade. That was (laughs) Uh, kind of like the same, uh, the same just momentary thing of like, oh, a pillar of my sporting life is gone. Why? (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. I I guess that happens in sports sometimes. Uh, So I was more equipped to say goodbye to Odell than I was to sort of acknowledge that the man now running my team has two first-round picks this year, but what am I supposed to think he's going to use them for? And all, and the, the most upsetting thing of all is that, so we install Dave Gettleman. Um, his first draft is, is Saquon Barkley at number two, which I had no problem with, um, and I'm sort of not ashamed to admit that. I guess this comes from a place of privilege, um, in see, in having seen the two championships, um, I want the New York Giants to win Super Bowls, 100%, absolutely. But it is really hard to do that, and if they're not going to do that, I, I want them to have the most fun players possible on the roster. I wasn't sold in Sam, on Sam Darnold, and, and whether that's right or wrong, you know, we will we will see in the future. But at the time, I was at least you know on board with making the offense as exciting as possible. I thought Saquon was has transcended an offensive player as Odell, which sounds crazy coming into the draft. And it seems like after year one, that might be accurate. He he appears to be a, a great player, perhaps not a phenomenal draft pick, but an astoundingly good football player. Then Gettleman adds Will Hernandez to beef up the line with his next pick. And it's like, okay, this guy can, this guy can draft. Um, I don't know what I'm getting into moving forward, but his first two picks I am wholly on board with. I'm sort of, you know, at the very least, I'm buying into the plan of making the offense, like giving the offense weapons, blocking for the first time, maybe in Giants history. Will Hernandez may be the first lineman we've ever had. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not entirely like the last time we had a lineman that good. He was blood related to Tom Coughlin. Um, <laughs> like, I really don't know when the last time we had a lineman like that is. So I'm entering the season with a hefty burst of optimism, and we're also only two years removed from the boat party playoff team. So I'm kind of like, this roster theoretically could be a playoff team, competitive. I'm sort of drinking the Kool-Aid, and, and and then the season unfolds. It's a complete disaster. There's not a single player outside of Saquon and Odell who, who seems to be able to play on a game-by-game basis. Um, so just one year later, you know, my view of Gettleman as skewed he clearly bought into things that he should not have bought into and then we get to the conference call where it's so 
clear to everyone who watched even one game last year that Eli Manning is no longer an NFL quarterback. We love Eli Manning. No one I know doesn't love Eli Manning. But at some point, you need to send someone off gracefully and with a succession plan. Um, Eli is not an NFL starter. Eli without Odell is probably not a rostered member of an NFL team. I mean, Eli without Odell, the number, like the yards per attempt, I believe is second worst ahead of Brock Osweiler. Um, yeah, the I, as I said, the drop off is substantial in multiple categories for Eli without yeah. Odell. So even if you've been fooled into thinking that Eli is your starter in 2019 and moving forward, I mean, God help you, Mr. Gettleman. He certainly isn't without Odell Beckham Jr. also lined up out wide. Um, so, yeah, the, the Eli stuff is concerning to the maximum. I'm not sure how we got from a place where Ben McAdoo, who was the previously most reviled figure in, in New York football history, um, benching Eli Manning was sort of an act of war. And now a year later, it's kind of like we all it's like a be careful what you wish for, where it's like, Oh my gosh! Now we have someone in place who who thinks he is unimpeachable. Like what what happened in the one year? Um, so the biggest issue isn't that Odell is gone, and it isn't that you know there are pieces that need to be picked up. It's that the man with the draft picks. I have no idea what his plan is. Like at first, I, I thought he acquired two first rounders, sort of as insurance in case he needed to trade up and get Haskins which is sort of worrisome in and of itself. You're sort of bidding against yourself. You're trading your best asset like Porzingis just to sort of hope to get draft picks in case you need them or, you know, insure against your own failures. Right. Now that the, like, now that the Haskins buzz, I mean, glad they had dinner with them. It seems like we're trending in a direction where they're at least going to consider making that pick at six. But outside of Haskins, I mean, Say you don't get a say you don't trade up and get a quarterback, say you don't use either of these picks on a quarterback, then you know, a lot of defense is gonna go early in the draft. Then you have the sixth pick and you're using it on sort of the fifth best defender. I I you know, and then I don't know what seventeen is. Are we gonna go tight end and then try to convert Evan Ingram to a wide receiver, do something insane like that? Like, are we that desperate for a blocker? Are we just gonna keep paying Rhett Ellison as long as we pay Eli Manning? I'm just not terribly – and, of course, Sterling Shepard is a free agent at the end of the season. So if you don't replace him through the draft with at least you know a second rounder that you feel confident in, I'm not sure where the offense goes from here. Um, and then the Golden Tate thing happens, and you're like, oh, I'm glad we're paying a, a different wide receiver, but none of this yeah. happens. At this point, the, the biggest worry is that the plan at best feels muddled, and after that conference call, the plan seems like – it you know you say nice saying nice things about Eli is sort of a prerequisite if you run the New York Giants because of how the fan base operates. These things seemed genuine and, and not just you know catering to the rabid Eli fans as people have done in the past. So I don't know what this is, but my trust level in Dave Gettleman is is incredibly low, and and I'm almost at Nick's level of checked out, where I'm just <laughs> like I don't know what's happening, but I guess I'm going to be excited for the ride because what else should I be excited for? Yeah, it, it is going to be a fascinating draft um, to see what they do. That is for sure, um, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating season. And Adam, look, man, if if things go south, you obviously you are an honorary member of the city of Cleveland. Um, you 
you may step onto the Browns bandwagon or at least just the Odell Beckham Jr. fan club that I'm sure will sort of travel to Cleveland now. So look, man, you are, you have a second home if you, if things go so terribly, uh, in New York, like if you, if the Knicks don't get Kyrie or Durant and then this season just goes, is just terrible. And for the Giants, like, look, man, come hang out. We're here for you. I just, I just want to let you know that. I, I appreciate that. It, it feels good coming from an official Clevelander because I, I will say I was fully prepared to you know, make the jump regardless whether you gave me permission or not. <laughs> um, so it feels good to hear a, an official declaration of such. Um, I will always, you know, I will always bleed New York Giants blue. That is not a question. Of course, of but course. But I'm, exci- I'm excited for you. I am very excited for you. And, and it only took a few hours for me to have the perspective to say, you know, thank God that's where he went because at the very least I will get to, I love Baker. I love everything that's happening and trending in your city right now. And, and you people deserve all of this. There, there is not a moment that goes by where I'm, you know, sort of going to, you know, shake my fist at Cleveland and say, why has New York been forsaken? Um, (laughs) I, I wish we still had Odell Beckham Jr. I'm very glad he is where he is. And I'm really excited for the Brown season, man. Well, Adam, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's hard to state the sort of excitement we have here, and it's unfortunate that training camp is not until July because this is one of those things that makes you wish that the season would just start immediately, and unfortunately there's going to be a long lull until uh, things happen. Like Odell is not even in the country, I don't think, and he's now just like, gone dark on social media for a few days. Yeah. So it's just this weird thing of like we just got this transcendent talent and now we have to wait till who knows when for even like an introductory press conference. So it's a, it's very weird. Uh, the, uh, but, uh, I, I, we are willing to wait as long as it takes, but, uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining me as a reminder. You guys can follow Adam on Twitter. He is at Adam Weinrib. Uh, you can follow his work at 12 up, um, where he has again, a very wonderful article about, uh, the OBJ trade, Dave Gettleman, all that stuff. So check him out there. Um, yeah, man, Adam, thank you for joining me. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, uh, we'll, we'll have to link up again soon as the, as the season goes and as things kind of progress with both the Giants and, and the Browns. And hopefully, hopefully positive things for both teams. We will see. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. Hopefully uh, we can check in on the Yankees and Indians at some point, which I yes. feel like is going to be a, cl- a closer match in talent, uh, at least for the time being. But yeah, we will see. I'm always happy to, to talk about my misery, your success, or a combination of the two. <laughs> Excellent. We will plan on that. Thanks again, man. All right. Thank you.